0: I think that when people step into a relationship, they think the hard part's finding the person. You know, like when am I going to meet my, per- my other half? And, you know, I want my soulmate, whatever that means. And it's a very romanticized idea of what love is. And then once they get married, they stop investing in the relationship. But that's really when the romance is meant to start. The, the real love story happens after the marriage.
1: Welcome to the Big Kid Problems Podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week we're gonna take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources To help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So, thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill. For those of you who are new here, I'm the voice behind the comical Big kid Problems Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now obviously podcast. Welcome to the show. Guys, on a personal front, the countdown to my wedding day continues. We are officially two weeks out. I'm freaking out. And today's episode is one I've been saving for when we started to get close. And I am just so excited to finally release it today. When I think about marriage and really getting ready to enter a marriage, I feel a little like, I don't know, unprepared. Like, I feel like there should be an SAT prep course or homework you have to do, like something to get you ready for married life. And our guest today says it best. She says, a lot of us spend our time thinking about finding the right person. Like every romantic comedy is all about finding the one. And there's not really enough emphasis on what to do after. like. That is only the beginning and the real story continues when you're trying to build a strong, lasting relationship and life together. So we're going to get into relationships and love today. Our guest today is the incredible Monica Berg. She is a speaker, podcast host, the chief communications officer for the Kabbalah Center, and author of the book, Rethink Love. Her book focuses on universal teachings and steps to being the one, attracting the one and becoming one. So really everything relationships from the relationship you have with yourself to creating a lasting relationship with a partner. I devoured her book. I mean, I honestly recommend it to anyone. It is incredibly insightful. And I just had to bring her on the podcast this week to give us all a little taste. I want to preface, I mean, it's really not just for people who are getting married. It's really for everyone. And we talk about everything from dating to settling, soulmates, sex, being a good partner, and just so much more. There's honestly something for everyone in this episode. And I think it's one that you might even want to listen to more than once. Like There is just so much good stuff in here. If you do enjoy this podcast, I'm going to ask you guys to share this one. Maybe send it to a friend or post it on your Instagram story. I love when you guys do that. I think a lot of people will actually get value from this episode though. And as always, if you're digging this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave a little five-star review if you can. It really does keep the show alive. All right. With that, I say we jump right into this one. Get comfy and we will be right back. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Guys, we're going to be talking about love today and everyone could use a little more self-love. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Ladies, we need our brains involved to actually get in the mood and these audio stories will do just that. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there. You can listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on or that coworker you always had a little thing for. They release new content every week so there's always more to explore no matter who you're into or what turns you on. They're great to listen to if you're single or coupled up. If I've been running around all day, my new favorite thing to do is throw on a little 10-minute Dipsy story before I get home. It really changes my whole mood and gets the mojo flowing, if you know what I mean. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipstories.com slash big kid. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to DIPSEA stories.com slash big kid. That's dipsystories.com slash big kid. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I'm sitting now with Monica Berg. She is the Chief Communications Officer for the Kabbalah Center International. She's speaker, author. Oh my gosh, all the things. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I actually had a thought while you said the title of your podcast, which I already knew, but you just mentioned that you're getting married recently. So I thought that you were like a mom and this was like somehow with Kids, are we the big kids? We are the big kids. Yeah, <laughs> I got it now. <laughs> We're all... As you as you said it, I'm like, ah, that's what you mean. It's
1: so <laughs> funny because I actually get pitched all the time for like kids stuff. <laughs> I'm like. No, this no, is I'm it. the kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, this is very much an adult uh, <laughs> podcast. I don't think we're going to be advertising like pacifiers. Um, anyway, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. And um, like we said, uh, I am really pumped for you because for you to be on the show because I am getting married in a few months and started kind of. I'm trying to do my own research because. Um, I'm also Jewish, and I'm always jealous that like we don't have what like the Catholics have before getting married, where they basically go to like marriage camp. And I haven't been able to find that anywhere. And I and I'm trying to do my own research. And I thought your book, like I I have been inhaling it. I think it's so amazing, and there's so much good info in here.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea, marriage camp. Yeah, it's I call my book uh, the Bible of Love. I think it really has. It has psychology, science, my personal stories, people I've worked with, their stories. Of course, I've changed the names to protect the guilty. (laughs) But I I think that so often we just stumble through the most important parts of our lives. And then we're hyper-focused on things that don't really matter. And so I wanted people to rethink what they think they already know about love because chances are it's really backwards.
1: Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned even before this podcast, I mean, a lot of this comes from your own experience. You've been married for... 24 years. And you've also, uh, through your work, your husband is a rabbi. I think I read somewhere that you've been to like 500 weddings. And
0: counting. And counting.
1: And you've like, you know, worked with couples, hundreds and hundreds of couples. And so I was kind of curious. I mean, I know, obviously, like, I'm curious why you wanted to write this book and maybe some of the things that you see in a lot of the couples that you work with.
0: So it's interesting. I, you know, I never thought that I would write a book. In fact, about relationships, really romantic relationships, but I would meet with people about where they found their, their, themselves in their life, you know, in their career, just their joy or fulfillment or lack thereof. And the theme that was really bothering most people was their relationship. Either they wanted one, or they wanted to improve the one they had, or they wanted to exit the one they were in. And I started to see a commonality of the issues, you know, of the triggers. And it became so clear to me what the solutions were because, again, I've really worked very hard. My own marriage, my husband and I, both took that very seriously. I think that when people step into a relationship, they think the hard part's finding the person. You know, like when am I going to meet my per- my other half? And you know, I want my soulmate, whatever that means. And it's a very romanticized idea of what love is. And then once they get married, they stop investing in the relationship. But that's really when the romance is meant to start. The the real love story happens after. Marriage, so I just thought if I can put it out on on a paper, right, write it out, and then I'll meet with people. First of all, it's gonna be easier for me because they can read it, and then come with really concrete questions,
1: and we can have really specific solutions. Yeah, I think that's so uh, um, that's like so interesting, and and I, I'm so I I also want to like preface too because you you obviously work um, at the Kabbalah. Center International and there's a lot of like Kabbalah teachings throughout this book that I thought was a like, really really cool and so for anybody listening who may be unfamiliar can you kind of give us a little bit of background on like what Kabbalah is because I think a lot of people are just like associate be like oh that's the Madonna <laughs> religion right don't they don't always know
0: right <laughs> one small piece of information um, and then they you know people generalize but it is the most ancient wisdom and at its core, it is consisted of lifelong practical wisdom. So you can apply it with specific tools. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, and, and this is like really just a broad stroke of what it is, with all the information that it, that is available, you were transformed through it. So you're meant to leave the world differently than how you've entered. And to do that, you really need to actually understand what challenges are meant to be. and. It helps you find your purpose. It helps you make sense of chaos and really to get through to the other side. You know, Kabbalah is a verb, it's an action. And we're meant to be real participants in our life. And I I don't believe in suffering. And I don't believe that we're meant, you know, some are lucky and some are unlucky. With this wisdom, honestly, if people not only study it, but live it, it gives them the clarity and the tools to be able to derive purpose and meaning. From everything in life, even the greatest challenges. So for me, it's really helped me navigate, and I'm lucky enough to have found it when I was 18, 17 years old, and uh, and it's really informed all of my life's decisions. And I put it in the book. You know, the truth of the matter is, in for a relationship to be successful, I believe there needs to be a spiritual component because if not, things like the ego gets in the way. People don't really learn how to share fully with another person. So there needs to be that aspect. And for me, it's
1: Kabbalah. Mm, So, so cool. And I mean, what I really love about it is it's it's like just deep wisdoms. And I don't think it's like religious specific. Like even when when I was reading the book, I'm like any of these Kabbalah teachings that you're reading throughout the book, I'm like are so universally true. It's not like, you know, you don't have to, think a, or, you know, practice a certain religion to relate to it. Um, it was all very, very profound. I mean, I'm telling you, I was like going through this book very quickly, like digesting it all. But one of the main things you say about like having a positive relationship and having a healthy relationship is really the relationship with yourself. So I love, I love that you started the book in that way. And I'd love if you could kind of give us a little bit um, of, of some insight into what becoming the one looks like.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Everybody changes the, the title. It's it's becoming one. Because and again, it's it's a natural thing to do, which is why I like to bring it to people's attention because everybody's looking for the one, right? But it's it's never outside of you. When you really grow that aspect of yourself of what you're looking for in somebody else, that part of yourself that's your soul, that's your truth, that's connected to where you've come from, when you grow that, then you naturally <laughs> Attract the one that you're meant to, right? So, I've devoted eight chapters to finding yourself, really, because people are in such a rush. You know, especially if we're lonely, especially now during the pandemic, right? People really are craving a meaningful relationship, but you cannot give that if you haven't found that and been able to give that to yourself first. And and I said that I found Kabbalah when I was seventeen. I actually developed an eating disorder just around that time. And I think often people think that, you know, if you're spiritual or you're doing things right, then it will save you from some kind of pain or, you know, you won't, you'd be elevated to a point where you wouldn't get to that kind of state. And for me, you know, it helped me understand what was really happening to me. And at that time, I was so lonely. I just really wanted somebody to love me enough for both of us, you know? And I also recognized that that could never be possible. So I spent a good year and a half for three years, actually, really starting to find my voice, starting to respect myself, starting to love myself eventually. First, I had to like myself and really honor what I desired, not have shame and wanting and expressing my want. So those eight chapters, and I always say, even if somebody is in their 80s, you know, it's never too late to get to that point. It's a really necessary fundamental first step wherever you find yourself in life, if you're single or not, to go back and to really check where you're at in that stage.
1: Yeah. I like, I like that you specified that in the book, you were kind of like, this isn't just for single people. You know, if, even if you're in a relationship, I think a lot of us have tendencies to kind of like blend with our partner and can sometimes lose ourselves a little bit. So I love, um, if you could maybe, I know there was eight chapters dedicated to this and to helping you kind of find yourself and, you know, love yourself. But if there's any, maybe a couple of tips that we could share with our audience today.
0: And actually, the book is in... It's one book, but there's three parts. So the first is me, right? It's all the relationship that you have with yourself. And then the second part is what you just described. It's going from me to we. It's how to be able to maintain your sense of self and know what you believe while meshing your life with somebody else that you've deemed worthy of sharing it with. And the last is we. And that's how to navigate successively through a relationship once you're in a committed relationship. So in that first part, me, uh, I talk a lot about shame, blame, and guilt. Because a lot of people struggle with those feelings. And what happens is they live in the past. You know, I did this horrible thing and that I'm a bad person and I'm undeserving of love. And it becomes really complicated. And then again, we look externally for somebody to make us feel better about who we are. Uh, I talk about feedback versus validation. I talk about authenticity. I talk about removing shame. I talk about knowing what you really believe. So... You'd be surprised, right? When I say these things, they don't sound like, yeah, I kind of know myself. I live with myself all the time, but it's what is that experience like? You know, do you really respect your opinion, or are you full of doubt and are you relying on your best friend or somebody else or your therapist or your hairdresser to tell you the better way to do things? You know, it's really this deep knowing of self, and it's not taught, right? When we go to school, we're not told you need to develop your soul. You need to. Really know who you are. We're not none of that. It's about, you know, getting a good a g- grades, great grades, so you can go to a good university, so you can get a great job, so you have a car and a home and a family, and then check, check, check. At what point do we actually stop and say, okay, are these things that I really want? Are these things that light me up and get me excited about my life? Or are these things that I, I think were important because that's what society told me or that's what my family told me? That was the, the feedback that I got.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember this period of life so vividly. You know, like I remember coming out of school and you basically have a track record the whole time. And it was really like my first few years of of outside of college and trying to like have a job and all that stuff. I, I remember this one, like being on the subway, coming home from a long day at a job that I truly hated. And I just remember thinking like, I could just meet my husband now. Like I would save myself so much suffering. Like it would all just be figured out if I could just find him.
0: And that, that, my friend, is called a cherished illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Also known as
1: Cinderella syndrome. I love for you to talk about this. This is so fun when I was reading this.
0: Yeah, so that goes into part two. It's all of the things that we. um, It's exactly what you said. You know, we find ourselves in a situation that we don't love. We don't know how to get out of. So we have this illusion that our marriage or relationship is going to be a ticket to somewhere else. For some people, it's a home with a white picket fence. For other people, you know, it's going to live on an island. And the problem with these cherished illusions is that eventually illusions fade. Especially that first stage of the relationship. It's when euphoria is at its highest and you know, they're intoxicating and everything is amazing and, and nobody can do any wrong. And then of course, usually six months into the relationship, that starts to fade. Some people hold on to their illusions till they actually get married. And that's why you see such a big change right after the wedding very often. My cherished illusion when I got married, you know, my husband was basically spiritual his whole life. Like He was born into this and, and he really chose it. And it's, his, it's always been his passion, more than that, like his, his life. So, you know, great. When we got married, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm automatically gonna get to a higher level of spirituality <laughs> just by marrying him. I mean, I really did believe that. Luckily, my illusion wasn't that bad because I didn't have an illusion about who I married, but who I would be in the marriage, right? So once I discovered the illusion, so then I realized how much work I actually had to do. But other people have illusions about the person, right? That they're 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 powerful and um, they're wealthy and uh, and so I'm never going to feel weak or poor again right so it's very very dangerous the thing is even for people who are in a relationship where they've realized or there's hopefully they're going to realize that maybe some of it was an illusion once the pieces have shattered you know you are able to pick them back up you can see clearly and you can either um, choose to grow the parts of the relationship that are true and that work and if not then then maybe you do want to exit the relationship because what you recognize now that's bearable in 15 20 30 years will be unbearable
1: jeez i know and you, when you talk about some of these illusions it's just it's you know i hear of couples that you know get mar- get married after six months of knowing each other like do you think that that can be a recipe for or do you think that that can be problematic because you do have these illusions and you don't really truly know a person or do you think that it's possible to for that to be okay
0: Well, it depends because, you know, I got married. I mean, I knew my husband, but we really, the time we finally recognized each other, because there was a lot of internal change that occurred for both of us to be able to recognize, you know, I never, like, if somebody said that's going to be your husband, I'd be like, absolutely not, never, from where I was at that point. Um, But from the time we recognized each other, we got married nine months later. So I don't necessarily think, you know, and you know, people who have been, together for 10 years and they don't get married. And then they get married and it's like they get divorced a month later. I've heard this too. So it's not that. I think that it's why you're getting married and how you've chosen your partner. So in Kabbalah, there's something called the 99% realm and the 1% realm. So the 1% reality or realm is the world we live in. right? It's everything that we see with our five senses. Sight, smell, taste, touch, and it's, and it's automatic, right? You, you see something, it looks good to you. You smell something and you, it's, it's immediate, but also it's very limiting because those things, if you marry somebody just for that reason, you know, even if it's great sex or looks, looks fade, sex changes. I mean, you can't base it on things that aren't lasting forever. Then if you're looking from a different place, 99% realm, which encompasses empathy and compassion and kindness and spirit, and purpose, meaning. So if you're looking from that part of yourself, you're going to probably recognize somebody very different. So I think that in the latter, right? If you finally see somebody and you're in that space and you see them, you really see them from the truest parts of yourself, then I don't think you can put a time on them.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like what you were saying too about, you know, we sometimes base up these relationships off of the 1% of what we know, what we can sense, what we can see. And there's like so much deeper than that. And that's funny that you, obviously, when you first met your husband, you you didn't necessarily put two and two together that that was going to be your person. And this is... Not three and four or five and six. <laughs> yeah. Which is so great because I, that's like something I remember when I was single. I felt like it was such a limiting belief. Like I... Thought that I had to see when I saw my future husband, I would know instantly because like this is what we see in movies. It kind of goes back to that, I guess, Cinderella syndrome situation. But I even have friends that, you know, they start dating somebody and they're not, they're like, I just don't know if he's my soulmate. I just don't, you know, I don't know if he's my soulmate. And I love, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about that notion of soulmates and why we don't necessarily need that.
0: It's interesting because I was just speaking to somebody recently and uh, <laughs> it, it was the first time I met her. She wanted a session on relationships and she was talking about this guy and that guy. And then, 40 minutes into the conversation, she'd booked an hour, 40 minutes, she tells me about this other guy that is great. Like, she, there's nothing wrong with him, but she doesn't know why she's, she can't decide to commit to this one. And I said to her, you know, perhaps because maybe he is the one, but in your fantasy, in your ideal, sense of what your soulmate or your husband should be, look like, etc. He's not matching that. So although everything else feels right, you're thinking it should be something else. Uh, And that's the problem I have with the soulmate term. I do believe that there are soulmates, which is basically two parts of a soul that have separated and they come back through a process of earning one another through things they've done in their lifetime. But there's also many different sparks of soul. I think you can have many relationships that are like soulmate relationships. What is a soulmate relationship? It's a relationship where two people actually are able to bring out the best in one another. And by best, I don't mean that it's all roses and peaches all the time. It's that you're able to see their potential and you're helping them meet it as who they want to become and vice versa. So, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if at the beginning or when we're dating, we have like, we like the same hobbies or we enjoy the same things Then I know this is the one. But the truth of the matter is you really want a partner who after you get married, then you're compatible, right? The way that you approach arguments or the way you approach your future, or the way you approach change and growth and spirituality, that's what really matters. And I think that that is what makes a soulmate a soulmate.
1: We're talking about Rethink Love today, and it's also time to rethink your hair care routine. There is no one size fits all when it comes to shampoo and conditioner. We need products that are suited for our unique needs. And that's why I have become such a huge fan of pros. They have you take this super in-depth hair quiz to then create the perfect formula of shampoo and conditioner and other hair products customized just for you. I mean, I have super thick hair and often it feels really, really dry. So I took the pros hair quiz and was stunned. I mean, they factor in things like how often you get your hair color treated, the thickness and density of your hair, the dryness of your scalp. I mean, they even factor in things like where you live to take into account things like humidity and pollution exposure. With their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations, pros determined a unique blend of ingredients to treat my exact concerns. I got my personalized shampoo conditioner and was also recommended a little scalp treatment. And my hair is just so much softer and stronger. It's actually insane. I also just recently got their hair oil, which is perfect to help fight that summer humidity. It is amazing the difference I have seen in my hair in such a short period of time. And I only wish that I had made the switch sooner. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Just go to pros.com slash big kid. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash big kid for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. What would be your advice to anybody who maybe is in one of those situations where maybe they are dating somebody or like, they're just not sure if they're the one, you know, like they're not sure. Cause I actually, I, I mean, I don't even know if, if my listeners know this cause I I use my relationship as an example all the time. Uh, cause I've been with my fiance now for seven years, but after a year of dating, we broke up. For that, this exact reason. Like I was like, I just don't know if he's my soulmate. And it was kind of around those similar things that you were just describing. I was like, this isn't what I had pictured. You know, I, I had this, my, you know, husband in my head and like, you're not matching that. And I'll, obviously we came back together and I was dead ass so you wrong. You broke up
0: with him. Yeah. You broke up. With him. Yeah. And then how long did it take you to realize that you were wrong?
1: Probably about six months about six months. And it was really weird because when we broke up, I was like, there's no way we'll ever get back together. Like, I just really didn't think... I was so sure. I was so sure. I was just like, you know what? I have to do this because I know it's the right thing. And I I thought it was going to be easy. And literally, as soon as we broke up, I was like... Something within me was so devastated and so crushed. And I couldn't get him... I couldn't stop thinking about him. And then finally, like six months later, we got back together and... and I was just like, "Wow, I can't, I can't believe I was so wrong."
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and again, it's the illusion of the five senses. I see this all, all, all the time. Another couple—they just started dating. He's not sure he's attracted to her, and 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 I don't, I never believed it for a second because they actually, they, it all, everything lines up. You know, they get along, they're friends, they enjoy each other's company. But again, to me, it was clear he was comparing it to who he always had envisioned himself with his whole life, right? That's a big illusion to kind of be like, okay, wait a second, what's really real here? And that's why that first part of the book is so important. Because unless you really know who you are, and you know what you believe, and you give yourself emotional feedback, and you become your own best friend, then of course, you're going to be confused when it comes to this stage.
1: You know, obviously, I think that People get tripped up over their soulmates and it can really affect their relationship. But there's also this concept that you talked about in the book. And that's like, you know, maybe you're looking for your soulmate, but sometimes people settle for the almost. And I'd love for you to talk about the almost a little bit and like this concept of settling and like what what this can, what this means.
0: Yeah, I love this too. And uh, a lot of people, especially when they reach a certain age and they feel like they should have already been married, the should have, you know, that really gets us or their friends are all married and have kids. There's this pressure that comes if we allow it. And uh, and the narrative goes like this. Um, You know, I like this person. My family really likes him or her. Uh, We go to the same church. um, We have a lot in common. You know, it's not like the most amazing relationship I've ever had, but I'm really just lucky to be with somebody. So many people out there are single, or a lot of people are now married, and I don't want them to pass, you know, I don't want life to pass me by. So it's not amazing, but it's good enough, you know, it's good. That's the almost. And I think people can talk themselves into anything (laughs) with this kind of narrative, and people do. And there's a couple that I talk about in my book who, you know, they were high school sweethearts, and, uh, she was from like a family of everybody was going to amazing universities, a lot of intellectuals. The pressure to be perfect and to have it all figured out was really intense. And then she was dating this guy that you know, loved her the way she was. He never put pressure on her. He wasn't really overly ambitious. So she really felt like, okay, this is something different. And there were warning signs already. You know, He used recreational drugs. He didn't really want to go to school and have a, a, a life plan for his future. So she decided to go ahead and and get married anyway. And she knew that on some level she was settling, but she compared it to this other intense perfection in her family unit. And so she chose like, okay, well, I'm not comfortable there. This is going to be good enough. It's going to work out. After they got married, you know, he spiraled into crazy uh, drug usage. She became the provider, not just for him, but then their children. She worked like crazy. And so the settling... You know, the good enough. It was no longer good enough, and it was really—it never was, by the way. But it was really clear that this was no longer the the real push for her to exit, right, and to ask herself, you know, to want more and ask life for more and have a better relationship. Is when she saw a video of her in the shower all over the internet because he had he had put a camera in the shower to sell the videos to make money for his drug habit.
1: Whoa.
0: I know that's an extreme example but when you settle you always give away more than you had intended you know and then I think that this happens a lot too when people are on a rebound or they are heartbroken or that person's moved on they'll go into something else that it's like not great but it's filling a void of some sort it usually catches it always catches up with us
1: are there any signs that you would say to look out for like emotions or anything like that that you you can see that, that you might be settling?
0: Well, if you have to convince yourself to stay in the relationship or be with a person, whether it makes your family happy or... I mean, I know somebody else who... She married her high school sweetheart because her mother died in high school. And it was important to her that her mother would have met the person she married.
1: Mm.
0: You know, And of course, my heart goes out to her. But then that's not... Marriage is something else. It can't be about... Um, making other people happy. I mean, those are the signs, right? If you feel like you're doing it to, for everybody else or if you feel like you need to convince yourself like it's the person you should be with or if you make justifications like it's better than being alone or everybody else is married with kids, I better get on it. Yeah.
1: What, what would you say to somebody who may be in one of those scenarios where they're like, uh-oh, did I settle? Like, what can you What can you do about it? If they're already married? Yeah, if they're already married. I mean, yeah, the easy thing is if you're not married, you can easily walk away. But what if you've, uh, you've tied the knot?
0: Well, I always say to people that exiting is not the solution right away. It might be the outcome, right? But it's not the first step. For somebody like that, I would say really take the time to become the person that would recognize this going forward. Because if not, you'll leave this person, you're going to make the same mistakes with the next. There has to be some kind of growth or transformation that occurs before you exit. So ask yourself, have these hard conversations. You know, why did I choose this? Where's my responsibility in this? How can I make it better in this relationship? And if not, how can I make myself a better life outside of the relationship to really develop into who you want to become? So that... And that's how you get the clarity of what the right thing is to do. It's really doing that own internal work.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So I know, you know, obviously there's a difference between settling um, and like you mentioned, uh, when we were talking about soulmates, earlier you know not every relationship even if you're in one that is one is wonderful and that you think is great i think we have these expectations of soulmates that everything's going to be perfect now that i found this person and i know you talk a lot about this in your book is just the idea of you know once you're in this relationship no matter how how much of a soulmate you're with, like you always have to work at it and you don't necessarily need to be with a soulmate to have a fulfilling relationship. So I love for some of your thoughts around that for anybody who's like, you know, maybe wondering if there's if there's something better out there, like what can they do to their existing relationship to make it more worthwhile?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And this is the problem with movies and books and films, poetry and, you know, song. Because it's this, we think that a soulmate is going to be that couple that we see, right? That they're so happy together and they're so perfect and they always appreciate each other. And and it's it's not really rooted in reality. A soulmate relationship is a beautiful relationship, um, but it is a relationship where you challenge each other to become the best version of yourselves. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, My husband and I, right? He is a scholar. He has authored many books. He's always had his nose in a book. And he also, though, is quite um, astute at helping people. He's very funny. Uh, He's a great leader. He's a great speaker. But before we got married, none of that. I was the only one that saw that version of him and it was just books. Before we got married, I was the one that was more outgoing, social... um, And to sit down and be disciplined to study, let alone write a book or two or whatever, forget it or speaking in public. So what happened through our marriage is that we were able to help awaken the parts that we both knew existed in one another, that we showed each other, but that we never thought to go and share it out in the world. So through encouragement, through conversation, um, through support, we were able to cultivate that inside of ourselves. But I think that if I was in a different relationship, right, that wasn't set up like that, where you live your lives and you're happy together, and it's like you're, you know, and it's nice and it's great, but a relationship, really, a soulmate, in every relationship, you're meant to learn to love each other more and more each and every day, more each and every year, and a big part of that is to also be able to challenge, to push, to help grow. I talk about the Michelangelo. So there's there's a phenomenon called the Michelangelo phenomenon. And there's also uh, the Golem effect. So the Michelangelo phenomenon is if you, for instance, if somebody wants their, uh, like I said, like if you if you're like a, you have a slab of clay and you start to mold it and build it, and you create something. The thing here is if you're putting it into relationships, is that it has to be connected to the vision the person has for themselves. So like the example that I gave with my husband and I, it's something I very much wanted to be. I wanted to be more scholarly. I wanted to be more disciplined like that. I wanted to speak in public. It wasn't that he wanted me to do those things. It's things that I wanted. He helped me create that and vice versa for him. The Golem Effect, and this is how relationships do go wrong in the same kind of theme, is when a husband, for instance, wants his wife to be more like Marilyn Monroe, but really, she wants to be like Joan of Arc. right? So you can see how that would not really be successful or pan out. Um... But I do think that's one of the illusions. People think a soulmate relationship is problem-free and it's just
1: not true. Mm-hmm. When, what are some of your, your tips for when, when issues do arise in a relationship? Like, I know you give a lot of great advice on how to move forward in like a really healthy way and, and vice versa. There's some things that you can really do to damage your relationship.
0: So I think that there is a time, you know, I really do believe, by the way, in fighting. I know a lot of people think that that shouldn't be the case. I call it spiritual sparring because it shows that you really care and that you're passionate about the relationship and you have thoughts and you want to share them together and work through them. The thing with that is, you have to have a style that works for both of you. You know, if you're a screamer and your partner's the silent type, you're really going to have a problem when you're trying to get through an idea. So I just think that. People need to put real investment in the relationship in terms of make sure that you are still friends. You know, So often in relationships, people stop being friends at some point and then they go outside the relationship for those kinds of connections that they had in their partner with their partner in the first place. And there needs to be laughter and levity. I mean, there's so many things that... And appreciation. I would say that those are the biggest that we need to make sure stays because relationships are work. But that doesn't mean that it's hard work. That doesn't mean that it's painful work. It's just a lot of effort. But when you love what you do, for instance, right? You put effort in it. If you wanted to have a baby, you understand it's going to take nine months to grow. I mean, it seems like in every other area, we understand this. But when it comes to relationship, again, the idea that it should be effortless and problem-free is something that's so ingrained in our culture. And, and it really does need to, to change
1: guys. We've been having a beautiful conversation about love and relationships. And I'm just going to take a quick turn for a second and talk about another important relationship. The intimate one you have with your butthole. Guys, Hello Tushy's brand new 3.0 modern bidet attachment is here to get your ass sparkling clean. Hello Tushy attaches to your existing toilet no electricity or extra plumbing needed. I mean, if I can install it, you know it's foolproof. It's stylish, eco-friendly, and even saves you money. It can cut toilet paper use by 80%, paying for itself in just a few months. I was a little nervous to try a bidet, but it is literally a game changer. I feel like it cleansed my soul. And the Hello Tissue 3.0 doesn't just clean your butt with a precise stream of fresh water. It cleans itself with the Smart Spray Automatic Nozzle. Plus, Hello Tushy has your ass covered with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. Join millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now and clean your butt with every flush. Just go to hellotushy.com slash kid to get 10% off plus free shipping. This is a special offer for Big Kid Problems listeners only. Go to hellotushy.com slash kid for 10% off. That's hellotushy.com slash kid. Something, something you put in your book, I wrote it down somewhere, but I, I thought it was so interesting because a lot of times like w- when we've been with somebody for so long, I mean, there might be instances where like we want to change things about them or there's things that keep coming up that like really just like bug you about your partner. And you said something along the lines of like, you know, if you're trying to change, if somebody in the if relationship... If anybody has
0: to change, it's probably yeah Yes. <laughs> yes. I love like for you to
1: elaborate on that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, listen, your relationship's going to be a mirror for you, whether you like it or not. So you can either look at it with ego and be like, no, no, it's not really me. It's them. They need to change. Or you can say, okay, there's something that's bothering me here. Let me pause for a second and see, is, is there something that I am doing or I'm behaving in that way? And that's why I'm recognizing it. And it's bothering me, by the way, in my partner. So I think that in all things that you see, and not just in a relationship, I do this with everybody. If somebody really is bothering me, I'll stop and say, okay, Monica, how do you where do you have that in you? You know, how do you behave in that way? And before you go and you tell your partner, you know, I have a long list of all the things I think you could do better or differently or need to change, why don't you make your own list for yourself and make sure that you are a good partner and that you are providing for them and you're also giving to their needs before you come with the list because if not, first of all, they're not going to hear you. But also it's it's incredibly unfair.
1: Yeah. And, and that kind of goes to um, another point, actually, that you make in the book. And and I've I've I got this piece of advice a couple years ago at like some conference I was at, and I and it honestly changed my relationship. But just this notion of you always want to be like giving in your relationship with no expectation of anything in return. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this, and like, and if there's any other things that you think are like absolutely necessary, like to practice for a successful relationship.
0: Well, I call this unconditional love. So there is romantic love and then there's unconditional love. The first is often rooted more in the ego. It's about you meeting my needs, you providing for me, you making me feel good, you making me happy. And again, we talked about 1% versus 99%. It's very much in that realm. Unconditional love is you love somebody simply because they exist. So when you love from that space, naturally, you're looking for ways that you can give and not for how am I receiving. And when you do this, the interesting thing is, obviously, the more you give, the more you're going to receive. It creates this circuitry between the two people. It's rare. Um, And that's why I say spirituality needs to be in the relationship. Because if you're not thinking in this way, and you're not expanding your consciousness, and you're not pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, then it will be more about, you know, you used to make me happy and now you don't. Mm. And I think that also, you know, like we try to control the people we love. I mean, it gets very complicated. Love and control really cannot exist. You know, it's being able to love somebody and seeing them through a process, but at the end of the day you realize that it's their journey, it's their life, it's their process. Even if you're their partner, it's not all about you. Mm. So I have a whole chapter on that. I think the other big thing honestly for successful relationship is appreciation. I mentioned it very briefly. A little bit ago, but often I see couples who are really happy together, and then shortly after the wedding, a few months. I actually had this. I, I was at somebody's wedding, and uh, and I didn't know her very well, but my husband married them, and I saw her six months after her wedding. and She looked visibly different; like she just she lost a glow in her eyes. I was like, "Is everything okay? How's married life?" She's like, "You know, I don't know what's going on." I Before we got married, you know, I'd wait for him to come home, and I'd make dinner, and I was so excited. And now, you know, I eat before him. I I just don't know. And I was like, "You stopped appreciating him." I mean, it seems so obvious, I think, to me. But like, she's like, "Oh." And then she had to actually give it some thought. Appreciation makes when we don't have appreciation for things for partners, we think that we no longer love them because you can't access that love. You've lost that way of viewing them. That Again, simply because they exist. And I always say it's not lack of love that's the problem ever. I mean, I've seen many people who've gotten divorced and they still love each other. They just don't know how to live together, right? When you're constantly cultivating appreciation, it is the thing that protects the marriage.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, that, kind of, um, that kind of reminds me of another thing that you, I remember reading in your book is the whole like, notion of a set point you know where we all right after the wedding you're you're usually at a pretty high set point like couples are really really happy but over time their set point can drop like lower and lower and lower and aside from appreciation cuz obviously i think you know having gratitude for someone is probably the biggest thing you can do but is there any other tips that you would give couples who maybe their set point has dropped and they want you want to raise it back up
0: well, set point is like because the problem is this once it's dropped, then anything a person says can be heard in a way that is negative. Like if I said, you know, can you adjust the thermostat and our set point's lower, you're going to hear me say, can you adjust the thermostat? I'm really hot, right? It's just everything now is heard in a way that is skewed. But I do, I, I, so with that, you know, it would be give the person benefit of doubt and be a friend. If you're friends, you're not going to be. Able to stay in that state, right? You're going to want to repair. You're going to want to talk about it. You want to protect the relationship. So, friends first is what I would say. But I do want to go back to appreciation because it sounds again like gratitude. I'll wake up and say oh, I'm so happy. It's not that. It's more like, and I I gave this example in my book, and I think it's a really clear one. And it's easier when we don't make it about a romantic story. So I wrote this about my oldest son, who um, at the time he was 13. Maybe twelve, and uh, I was pregnant with my fourth child, and uh, and I remember he was playing baseball. He was playing baseball. He had a game coming up, and he said to me, you know, and he calls my husband Abba. He's like, you know, Abba is going to come to the game so he can record it for you. So I said, oh, David, when's when's the game? He's like, you know, it's on Thursday at this time. And I was like, oh, wait, I can actually come. I don't have a meeting, and you know, I'd love to see you. And he's like, and he and he starts shifting from side to side, and his eyes are going up and down. He won't make any eye contact. And I was like, he's like, no, no, you know, in a very soft voice. It's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll record it for you. And I was like, but David, I can come. Why wouldn't you want me to come? And uh, anyway, after like a few conversations, it came out that his friends understand how babies are made. And in my nine month condition, he was embarrassed for me to be there. And by the way, I looked pretty good, but it didn't matter. He was like, he was just uncomfortable. So my reaction was like irritation, you know? And even like when they go through puberty and suddenly like, where's my sweet child? And they speak to you in a different way. The point is this. Now I'd think back to when he was a newborn, right? I would cradle him in my hand, at his breath, the touch of his skin on mine, his little hair that stood up on his head. I mean, my heart, right? Un- now, you would say that that's unconditional love, but it's still the same person. Has he actually changed? Has his soul changed? No. So when you love somebody, really love them unconditionally, then you're able to be able to see. So I recognize that my ego is bruised in that moment. I was offended. I'm your mother. How dare you? But then when I realized that profound understanding, it's the same soul, right? And if you love somebody, you love them simply because they exist. You can't actually... It, it, because by the way, in that moment, did I feel love towards David? No, I didn't because I wasn't appreciating him in that moment. He was upsetting me. So if you have enough upset through the relationship and you don't actually pause and check yourself and reassess, right? And change your set point. So that's why appreciation is everything because if not, you're going to fool yourself to think that you're actually right and justified in feeling the negative feelings you're feeling. Hmm.
1: So if you're having some negative thoughts and feelings towards this person like it's your like do you just think you you should Kind of go back to that go back to those basics and be like, Look, this is somebody I love, like I need to give them the benefit of the doubt I need to work with them, I need to just love them through whatever it is that is annoying me
0: well, it depends what it is you know if you if you go back to what's bothering you, is it because um, you resent them because they never hear you let's say so I, I understand that feeling and it's a it's a horrible feeling. How will you repair that? Is it by being withholding is it about in terms of, of, of love or affection or even sex? Or is it about going and sitting with this person that you've decided to spend the rest of your life with and say, listen, I really feel slighted when this happens. I wouldn't say when you do X, Y, and Z. I would say, you know, and I'm feeling, and what happens then is that I want to withdraw from you. How can we work through this? It's just about repair and having conversations. And of course, if it's been a pattern for seven or 10 years like this, it's going to be harder to undo, but it's not impossible. Mm. You just have to start somewhere. But but in having those conversations, the expectation can't be, you're going to hear me now and you're going to agree with me. It can't be that. You have to be able to hear and ask them to hear you. Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. So true. One thing, you, one thing you mentioned just a second ago and I wanted to hit on this before we wrapped up was, um, you know, you mentioned like one of the things we can do to punish somebody is like withhold sex. And sex was a, another chapter in your book that I thought was really, really interesting because obviously when we talk about relationships, we have to talk about sex. And um, you put in a couple myths about relationships and sex. Uh, if you want to talk to that. <laughs> yes. One of them was that, you know, like we've all heard like married people don't have Sex as regularly, you know, or you don't have sex. That's actually, as, yeah,
0: not true at all. That couples can be happy in a marriage without sex. I don't think that's true either. Unless somebody has like a, a physical, you know, challenge where they can't become aroused. Um, I think that sex is love in motion, and I think that if a couple's not having sex, it's an indication of something else not working in the relationship. So I think that's very important. Sexual performance is important. I think with this idea and why I think it's important to talk about. I think that most couples you know, don't talk about what they like. Um, sometimes men feel offended if a woman's saying what she needs or she's ashamed to say it because of how it might sound. And, and that's why, again, sex is such a vulnerable thing. And I think that it's important to be able to talk about anything. I think it's an indication of you can't talk about those things and the chances are you can't talk about other things as well that are important to talk about. So talk, talk, talk as you would with a friend. And I think that, you know, if you approach it from a place of curiosity and friendship, you're never going to be steered wrong.
1: It's, it's interesting when you, when you mention these myths too, because I feel like I, even I've talked to friends that have been married for a while and it's just kind of like jokes that we'll, we'll all like throw around. We're like, oh yeah, like, I don't, you know, we don't have sex like we did before or whatever it is. Like, I think a lot of people think that that's, that's, kind of normal that you're not expecting um, to have as much sex like once you've been together for a really long time. But you just said you're like, I think that it's, it's kind of indicative of the relationship. So if somebody is not, maybe they're in that place where they're like not having a ton of sex or they've come complacent in that area of life. Like how do you, how would you suggest to get that back on track?
0: Yeah, my guess is that other parts of the relationship are also stagnant, you know, like how much, how often do they do new things together? Do they explore things together? Do they talk about their dreams or they want to be together in five years from now? I think that to have intimacy and and have it be really beautiful, especially when you're married when you're married, it's those little things, you know. I think that before the marriage, like, oh, you know, they bought me this or We went on that vacation together and that's really sexy and romantic. And you had sex in different places. I think that after when you've married a very long time, it's like when you get home from work and they've already washed the dishes from the morning. you know, Or that when you have kids and and you put the last one to sleep and now your partner wants attention, but then you come down and you thought you had to like do a whole bunch of other things that were left, like put stuff away, whatever, and they did it. It's those little things that actually grow your heart and it, it adds to... And in fact, there are studies that say couples who share household responsibilities have more and better sex. So I think it's just understanding what excites us later in the relationship. It's not going to necessarily be at the beginning. As if you're exhausted, you're not going to really feel like having sex, right? And, And chances are when you have kids and everything else and you work, yeah, you're tired more than you probably were before. You have different responsibilities. So I think it's up to the couple to find new ways of connection, to talk about the things that really make you feel in the mood. And it's not necessarily like lingerie. It will be other things the longer in a relationship. Also, find new ways to make it fun and adventurous and different. Plan a date night. Surprise each other. It's just, again, it's another aspect of a relationship that's going to require honesty, vulnerability, partnership, and and effort in making it new all the time. And it can be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that's super important. And I mean, I'm even noticing in like my own You know, my own relationship, I'm like, oh man, a couple like things happen, you get distracted in life and you're like, oh crap, like we didn't have sex last week. Like what happened? So I feel like it's 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 maybe a good thing to like have on your mind and make a conscious effort to do.
0: (laughs) I think no, and to to do, but not just to do, but to make it make it an opportunity for deeper connection.
1: Mm, Yes. You did say that too in the book too. Like there's a difference between like having sex and like making love. Yes. and you you specify like you want to make sure that you have that deeper connection you're not just going through the motions yes yeah yes. yeah i thought that was really cool i know we're wrapping things up here and i've loved having you on and um one thing I I did read, it was kind of in like the last section of your book. And I just love the way that you closed this out talking about like how relationships are a practice. And I love this Malcolm Gladwell quote you included in there. Cause I remember this reading, reading this from him, which was like getting good at something takes 10,000 hours. And you're like, just to put that into perspective, that's 10 years of your life and like relationships are a practice. So what would you, what was, what are some of your, like, or do you have any closing tips or anything that you want to put out there is just like a way to practice being a good husband, a good wife, a good partner. Yeah, I love
0: this because... Yeah, 10 years, I think... And I get this a lot too. People are newly married and they have their first big fight after they're married, which is always different than before the marriage. And they're like, I don't understand. I'm a good wife. I'm like, no, no, you're not. You've been married for 5 minutes. Okay? How could you expect to know how to navigate this successfully? So I think if you actually... Understand that and understand that you need to put work at getting better in all these areas and that it will take 10 years, then the pressure is kind of off, but also you have a realistic expectation. And I think that, you know, and and also I love Dr. John Gottman's work, and he's done a lot of work in this area. And he noticed that couples usually seek counsel at seven years into the marriage. And by that point, it's too late because they haven't done. For the most part, they haven't done any of this work. so seven years of resentment and you know all these things building up and they're bitter where you know, and it makes sense then. if they were putting those seven years towards actually becoming better partners, then they'd find themselves in a different, very different situation.
1: So would you recommend um, for any couples who are newly getting married like going to therapy off the bat or having these conversations earlier, like what would be your advice to start off strong? As somebody Buy who's getting book. married very soon,
0: <laughs> read my book yeah. and apply it. No, but really apply it. You know, there's tons of work book, workshops throughout the book. I think therapy can be good, uh, but I don't think it's a place to get stuck at. Right? I think the most important thing is to have these conversations early on and frequently. Be friends. Stay friends. Keep becoming better friends. Uh, very often, people. Hide so much of who they are before they're married, or even things that they did in their past that they might have regretted. And then the lies start to, it's like that's not a foundation to start a relationship on. So I think just start there. You know, start with honesty and truth first with yourself and then with your partner. Awesome. There should be nothing that you hide from one another because it's too hard to keep up the lies and then eventually, you know,
1: it's going to catch up to you anyway
0: and they're going to find the truth out anyway and then it's just a big mess.
1: What about when it comes to like Botox? Can you, can you lie about that? <laughs> <laughs> I say lie about nothing. Okay. I love that piece of advice. Monica, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, I'm definitely going to pimp out your book. I'm going to link it in show notes for anybody who wants to check out more of you. Where can they find you?
0: Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Um, you can find me on social media, MonicaBerg74, or my blog is RethinkLife.today. You can get my books, Fears on an Option and Rethink Love on Amazon and, um, my podcast, Spiritually Hungry with my husband. We do
1: a awesome. Guys, I'm going to link all of that in show notes so you can check out Monica, get more of her awesome content. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know I really did. I want to give a big shout out to Monica Berg for being our guest this week. If you want to check out her book, Rethink Love, I have added it to our Amazon list, which is linked in show notes. Every book we've ever mentioned on this podcast is added to that Amazon list. So if you're looking for some new beach reads for your hot girl summer, like that is a really good place to check out. Again, it's right in show notes. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in this week. I know there are a gajillion podcasts out there. So I really, really do appreciate when you tune in and spend your hour with me. And I'm going to just put it out there again. I mean, if you guys are enjoying this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed and please, please leave a little two sentence review if you haven't done so already. Would you guys review the show or share it with your friends or better yet, post it on your stories? It keeps the show going. And we are going to be off the air for a while. So every little bit helps. All right. With that, I hope you all have such a good week. And I hope to see you back here for a brand new episode. Until then, I will see you next Tuesday.